Morning. Let's pray. Grace God, we ask for your double work in our lives that your word and your spirit might work together to both open our eyes to the glory of Christ and that we might understand that the words written in your book are for us and for the transformation of our lives. We commit this time to you now and ask that Christ might be glorified in all things. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I had an interesting week, the <laughs> first week of the year. Uh, Jackie and I were at a um, dinner party of sorts this past week, and as we were at the buffet line, one of the gentlemen and his wife, who was just ahead of me, said, what movie have you been in? <laughs> like, hmm, America's Most Wanted? I'm not <laughs> I thought he was kidding, but it took about five minutes of Jackie and I persuading him that I really have not been in a movie and we really are not from Hollywood. But after he walked away, I said, wifey, Hollywood. <laughs> and then in a different way and even more unusual, um, if you were here last week, you know that I MC did Sam's bit uh, and Kobadu preached. And midweek, I was walking through the foyer and someone said, Pastor Wood, and they said, great sermon this past Sunday. And I'm like, yeah, Kobadu did a good job. Said, no, no, you, he thought it was me. And I'm saying, I'm thinking, Hollywood more believable than, than me preaching last week's sermon. A week in the life of a clergyman at your parish. You heard read this morning. Uh, the account of Jesus' baptism. It's one of those handful accounts in the Gospels that actually appears in all four Gospels. When we see these kinds of things, sometimes things will appear more frequently in Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, they are the synoptics, the see-alike Gospels. But when John also makes an appearance, it's, it's, it's notable. And this is one of those notable events. So notable, in fact, that every year on this Sunday, the church marks this event by recalling again, reading again, hearing again the account of Jesus' baptism. And what's particularly notable is that the Gospels marry the baptism of Jesus with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that in Christ's baptism, these are linked as he both is baptized physically in water, receives in some measure the Spirit resting upon him, uh, as you put these collection of Gospel readings together, they fill out the story as something of a dove resting upon him. But John's prophetic word also that he will be the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at this today. What does it mean for us that Jesus was baptized? But also what does it mean for us that he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit? Gospels tell us, right, that Jesus came not just to listen to John, because all the crowds were going out to him, but to be baptized by him. Now, John had gained a bit of a following. Uh, men and women had followed him into the wilderness in order to be baptized by him. Now, the word baptism comes from a Greek word, baptizo, which literally means to immerse. It was a practice that was common among ancient Jewish people uh, for the converts that would come into Judaism. If a Gentile had been convicted by hearing the law uh, and persuaded that Yahweh was indeed the one true God, he would be circumcised. And then after his circumcision, he would be baptized. And the symbolism was very clear. We go down under the water as one person, and we come out a new person. 
Now, John's baptism was strange because he was not baptizing Gentile converts. John was calling the people of Israel, the very covenant people of Israel, who already bore in their bodies the marks of that covenant. He was calling them to be baptized. He was asking Jewish men and women to go down into the water as one person to come up a new kind of person. He called them to repent, right? A, a, a biblical word, church word, which literally just means to turn around, to change your thinking, to change your direction, to change your attitude, to start over. Now, John's point, his invitation, was dramatically emphasized by the place in which he chose to conduct his baptisms, right? In the River Jordan. Now, why would that be significant? Well, think back to Israel's entrance into the Promised Land. I'd sent you an email this week about Bible reading in the next year. Uh, my Bible reading course has taken me into the book of Joshua. Uh, this past week, and this is where we are, right? We remember that when the descendants of Abraham, the tribes of Israel, became a nation, it was after they crossed over the river Jordan. And it is here that John is baptizing. He's making a statement, but what is he saying? He's telling the people of Israel that things have gone so far off the rails that they need to come back again to where it all began. They need to start over. And so in an area... Perhaps, we have a guess, we're not certain, but in an area perhaps not too far from Jericho where Israel crossed, John sets up shop. Now, the situation gets more unusual because Jesus is among the crowd that has gone out to listen but has also gone out for more. He himself has come out to be baptized. Even John thinks it's odd that Jesus presents himself to be baptized. Matthew tells us in his gospel that John objected, saying, quote, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So why did John balk? Well, I'm going to suggest two reasons, right? First, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, right? Did Jesus himself need to start over? Had Jesus somehow gotten it wrong, did he need to repent? Of course not. Was it necessary for him to go down in the water as one man and to come up another? No. The author of Hebrews tells us that though Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, he was without sin. Jesus had no need to repent. He had no need for conversion. That's a first reason that John balks. Secondly, the Gospels tell us that when John began his ministry of baptism, he spoke about a man who would come after him, who would baptize with something more powerful than water. John said someone was coming after him who would baptize them, immerse them in the very Spirit of God. And now this man, this baptizer in the Holy Spirit, stands before John asking to be baptized by him. Second reason John objected. So what was going on? Biblical commentator R.T. France said this, Jesus' baptism was a statement of solidarity with all of those who felt that they and the world they lived in needed a new beginning. It was a statement of Jesus' solidarity with us. And as the crowds of people came to see John seeking a fresh start, Jesus himself came and stood with them, right? Meaning what? Meaning that he affirmed by his presence as well as his participation that humankind needed to begin again and that he would be an active participant in this new beginning. 
Okay, hold that thought. Do people ever ask you in the face of tragedy, where is God in this? Have you ever had to deal with that question, an objection among a family member or friend? Well, this gives us a beginning of an answer. Where is God in that? He's in the very midst of it. He's with us. Right? He is in solidarity with us. He is an active participant in whatever outworking of whatever tragedy befalls us. Again, France picks up, the most obvious way in which Jesus' baptism prepares for his mission is by indicating his solidarity with John's call to repentance in view of the arrival of God's kingship. As Jesus is baptized along with others at the Jordan, he's identified with all those who by accepting John's baptism have declared their desire for a new beginning with God. And so John consents. Doesn't fully understand, perhaps like Mary be it unto me, handmaiden of the Lord. John consents. Jesus goes down into the water. He comes up again, but this time something else happens. Something happens that has never happened before. The Gospels tell us that at the moment Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. If you're interested in such things, you might know that on Monday, April 8th, of this coming year, uh, large swaths of North America will experience a total solar eclipse. Uh, the closest place it will happen to us is Little Rock, Arkansas. You might want to book your rooms now if you want to get over there and see it. We're plunged right into the darkness of a total solar eclipse, but the opposite is happening in the Gospels. The exact opposite happens on that day. Instead of the heavens being covered over, they are torn open. Instead of being plunged into the darkness of the Jordan, they were bathed, awash in this magnificent supernatural light. And you have to wonder what would John and those in the crowd have made of this. And if that wasn't strange enough, we're told that something that looked like a dove, something visible, descended from heaven and rested upon Christ. All of those in the crowd, while they may have wondered what this meant, they would have intuitively understood that something significant was happening. And then finally a voice thunders from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Right? So even the most skeptical, disinterested bystander could not have helped but be astonished. And the more thoughtful among them probably began to put some pieces together. They might have remembered the opening of their scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right? In a metaphor that would be reminiscent in Jewish culture of birds in flight, we're told that the Spirit of God hovered, brooded over the face of the waters, and creation begins. And now, as we hear of Jesus' baptism, we see again God hovering over the waters, and just as before, the Spirit hovers as a bird, and God speaks. But this time, it wasn't creation that God calls into existence. This time, creation doesn't begin with light, but with a sun, with the true light of the world, with the new man, whom we are told if we truly want to have a new beginning, we must listen to. Everybody also would have understood that a truly new start would have to come down to something more powerful than going into the waters of the Jordan and emerging again. Even John, 
whose entire ministry was one of baptism, knew this. And Jesus knew this. In fact, several chapters later, after he was baptized by John in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What's this baptism of which Christ speaks? It's the cross, where Jesus would be plunged into a much deeper darkness than the waters of the Jordan could ever accomplish, and which he would rise again into much greater life than John had ever imagined. The baptism in the Jordan by Christ, or his, his baptism in the Jordan, signals to us a new creation. The baptism that he spoke of on the cross accomplished what his baptism in the Jordan pointed to. And so what do we do with this? Always a fundamental question of the biblical text. What are we to do with this? Well, I'm going to suggest that our answer is also in the gospel. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Right? He, Jesus, will baptize you, you, me, with the Holy Spirit. And what's he telling us in this? He's telling us that new life is more than an intellectual, theological reality. It is that, but it is more than that. I encouraged you to immerse yourself in scriptures as this new year begins. Because right understanding, biblical understanding, will always point you to understand that right experience is connected. And the Gospels tie the Father's giving of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, to this man, Jesus. But we know it is the work of the Father and the Son, right? We think of the creed. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And the Bible clearly teaches us about our need for the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is not just an abstract theological reality to which we give mental assent. This is something that we place ourselves before and we ask Jesus who gives the Spirit to give us the Spirit. So I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but we're in church and I'm only at 14 minutes, so I'm going to give you a few things to consider. <laughs> Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Have you ever asked? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Are you thirsty? If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he will dwell with you and be in you. It is to your advantage, he'll go on and say, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this same emphasis continues into the book of Acts and right way through the whole of the New Testament. 
What's the point of these verses? The point is that we need to see and understand and believe that the active and ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual believer is not ancillary. It's not an optional extra that you might add on like you do a feature in a vehicle or your car. It is central to the Christian faith. Jesus clearly promises that he will send us the Holy Spirit, but he must be received by us. And so our question of the day is this. It's a question of every day. Because every day begins like this. Will you welcome him? Will you welcome him to the very center of your life? Will you enjoy his company? Will you speak with him? Will you become friends with him, right? He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Someone wrote this. Through the Spirit, the Son manifests himself to us. But notice what Jesus said to his disciples. We have to ask for the Holy Spirit in prayer. We have to come and drink. We are the ones who must receive. And it's not enough for us to look back at some past experience, right? And this is a challenge because we often confuse nostalgia with the work of the Spirit. We remember back some great day or era of our life. And thank God for that day and era. But we are meant to be filled and refilled daily. The Apostle Paul will tell us in Ephesians chapter 5, the English is a weak translation because the Greek is a continuous imperative. An imperative in grammar means exactly what you think it means. But it's a continuous tense. Be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a great interview. I think it was Woody Allen and Billy Graham, and I don't remember who else was on the show. Um, Larry King, maybe? I don't remember. But Billy, right, is at the height of being Billy Graham. And he's asked, what one question would you ask God? And his reply was this. I would ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit and to give me the ability to do his work every day. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to undie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I love to mark new beginnings. I love the beginning of a new year. I love the beginning of a new school year. I like these opportunities to come back again to mark beginnings. We stand at the threshold of a new year, and the question for all of us is, do you need to be made new? Do you need to have a renewed life? Did you have an encounter with God that was personal and powerful at some point in your life that you can look back on? But if you're honest, since that day, eh, not so much. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son to make us, to make all things new. But he must be received by us. And our question every day as we begin each new day is will you receive him? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge very often that we sit in the driver's seat of our lives, that while we have looked to you for salvation and perhaps to your word for guidance on how we are to live this life, in all honesty, our hand is on the wheel. We are driving where and how we want to drive. And we pray, Lord, today that we would hear again John's words that we would consider again our Lord's baptism and his baptizing in the Spirit, and that we would place ourselves before him for the first time or for the hundredth time 
and acknowledge that we need him each day and that we need the gift of his Holy Spirit afresh each day. Give us grace, Lord, to acknowledge our need. Give us faith to come and drink. In his name we pray. Amen.